I need to take a minute to discuss the most vile and horrific form of hypocrisy that I think I have seen in my lifetime. And that is how in this age of social media, people can take to Twitter and and Facebook and Instagram and all of these other social media outlets and spew such disgusting, vile drivel. And they're considered not only heroes for it, but they're considered credible news sources. Um, This past week, Rush Limbaugh signed off for his Christmas break. He won't be on the air until after the new year. And of course, the ultra leftists on Twitter took the opportunity to just run Rush, rake him right over the coals. And I'm kind of disgusted by it. I'm, I'm, I'm not kind of disgusted. I'm fucking disgusted by it. I'm sickened to the core by people who want you to believe that they are these caring and compassionate and loving human beings when, you know, they just wish death upon a man because he doesn't believe what their uh, doesn't hold with their fucking political beliefs. You people are absolutely disgusting. And if I had the names right in front of me, I'd be calling them out. As a matter of fact, I'll get those names and I'll add them on into a later segment of this show. You wish somebody would die because you don't believe as they do politically. But what if I sat here and said, I wish fucking ill on Barack Obama or Joe Biden because I don't, agree with their political beliefs. I'd be a piece of shit, right? I'd be a piece of shit. You know why I'm a piece of shit for believing that? Because I don't believe in fucking communism. Because I believe in the rights of the individual, because I believe in the Constitution, and I believe in the United States of America. Rush Limbaugh is a believer in the Constitution. He's a believer in individual rights. He's a believer in the Constitution of the United States of America. But because he defends those things under the banner of being right-wing, then It's perfectly fine to wish ill toward him. Well, you know what? I am so fucking sick and tired of everybody in this world wanting to be woke. Everybody wanting to have this attitude of, well, I'm a compassionate person as long as you agree with me 100%. You know what? Fuck you. I am so sick and tired of listening to the Don Lemons of the world and listening to the the Whoopi Goldbergs of the world and listening to the Joy Behars and listening to the Rachel Maddows. I am so sick and fucking tired of listening to these pieces of shit spew their leftist garbage out of their mouth all under the guise of some form of compassion and some form of unity. It's not unity, you jerk-offs. It's not fucking unity when you use your platform to wish ill on another human being and then turn around and tell me that I'm a fucking racist because I refuse to acknowledge that I'm a racist. You don't understand the hypocrisy there. You don't understand how much of a piece of shit you're making yourself look like. But you have your followers. You have your little ants marching behind you who will follow in every footstep because, hey, that's Tom Lemon. That's Rachel Maddow or, or that's Whoopi Goldberg. Or that's whatever leftist piece of shit happens to have this garbage just pouring out of their mouths. And their followers aren't going to get the hypocrisy either because their followers have the combined IQ of one of those ants marching. It's fucking absurd. And it's disgusting and it pisses me off to no end. I don't... I I have wished ill on people in the past, absolutely. I do it out of anger, and I'll admit that. But when you have people who are going out 
on their television shows, on their Twitter, on their radio shows, what have you, whatever outlet they have. And they're wishing harm upon people because of their political beliefs and telling you that you're a scumbag for being a listener. Um, you're a scumbag for being a fucking leftist. But it's wrong for me to say that, right? It's wrong for me to call these pieces of shit out. It's wrong for me to sit here and say, hey, Joe Biden stole this fucking election and every goddamn one of you knows it. But I'm the bad guy because, well, you know, you're just you're racist. You know, oh, Donald Trump's a racist. Oh, I'm a racist. Oh, you know, James Woods is a racist. John Voight's a racist. You know, there's a reason. By the way, you look at guys like James Woods and John Voight, who used to be liberals. There's a reason they're not anymore, because they have seen that liberalism, which has a lot more in common with conservatism than it does with leftism. They realize that leftism has been overtaken or liberalism has been overtaken by radical leftist commie cunts. And you have the fucking balls, the unmitigated gall, the ball sack the size of a fucking bowling ball. To tell me that you're a compassionate, loving, caring human being who cares about human rights and race, racial issues and LGBTQ issues, all the while saying, I hope Rush Limbaugh never comes back. He dies before the new year. Fuck you. Seriously. If you're one of these people, if somehow any one of these assholes who posted this on Twitter, if somehow we can get this to them, I want them to know what a piece of shit they really are. And I want them to know that what goes around comes around. You're a fucking scumbag. And I'm going to sit here and tell you, I, I, I have wished people ill, but at the same time, I feel bad about it because I try to be a good person. I cannot be a good person toward people who wish ill on somebody else just because they have a fucking R next to their name. Seriously pisses me off. I mean, I, I, I just want to, I don't, trying not to wish ill on anybody either. But at the same time, I cannot not use my platform to call them out on it. You're garbage. Do you know that you are garbage human beings? If you wish Rush Limbaugh would go ahead and die because he's quote poisoned society for the last 30 years. Did anybody say that same fucking thing about, you know, Dan Rather? Has anybody said that same fucking thing about a, a Rachel Maddow or an Alan Combs? No, 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 because you know what? As much as I may dislike a lot of what the Republican Party stands for now, I can honestly point to most of them and say they're still far better fucking human beings than any of you scumbag leftist commie cunts could ever be. Let us never, ever forget when you hear a fucking leftist piece of shit, when you hear a commie fuckwad calling right wingers like Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity or Ben Shapiro a racist, when you hear them calling a Ben Carson a racist, when you hear them calling me a racist, just remember this, you fucking pieces of shit. Robert Byrd, who was a member in good standing, and I believe at one point the Grand Wizard of the KKK was a fucking Democrat. So shove it up your ass and suck a fucking dick. Holy shit, uh, San Diego Padres fans. Wow, um, you're probably having flashbacks in 1998 right about now. You're probably having that feel 
of um, what a phenomenal, exciting team that was back in 1998. Because if you're a Padres fan, you just got yourself Blake Snell and you Darvish uh, making San Diego one of the best rotations in the National League. And, and honestly, I think they're the, well, they're the only contender, honestly, for the NL West title against the Dodgers. We're going to get into that further on in the show. Uh, but I also want to bring up, by the way, we did a special episode on the death of Brody Lee. We did not forget to mention, however, we simply didn't mention at that particular time, that legendary NWA light heavyweight champion Danny Hodge also passed away. Hodge, of course, was a two-time Olympic wrestler who had a fairly respectable boxing career as well before going on to perform for the NWA and becoming one of its greatest junior heavyweight slash light heavyweight champions. So we didn't forget about you, Danny Hodge. Uh, it's just that we had the the pressing matter of a current superstar and one of my personal favorites, Brody Lee, had passed away. But also, rest in peace, Danny Hodge, at the age of 88. That being said, good moment, America. How are you? This is the Terry Wilkerson Show for December 29th, 2020. I'm your host, Terry, and let's get right to it. All right, I hope everybody had a fantastic holiday, a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you happen to celebrate. I know I did. I know it was uh, it was a boring holiday for the most part, which is exactly what I'm looking for in my holidays. I don't like a whole lot of excitement. I don't like a whole lot of um, insanity on my holidays. I, I specifically remember... A Christmas in 2001 that, um, man, everything was just a little bit quirkier than it needed to be. Everything got a little bit sideways. And, of course, uh, that particular holiday was the last time that I ended up seeing a very uh, close relative of mine that he passed away just a few days after Christmas of that year. So I just always kind of associate these more quirky, more adventurous, more upbeat holidays. I kind of associate it with, you know, bad juju down the road. So I like my holidays to be quiet. But whether you like your holidays to be quiet, whether you like them to be raucous and loud, whether you like to have a Griswold family Christmas, doesn't really matter either way. Hope your Christmas was fan-fucking-tastic. Like I said, I know mine was. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get to one of my little Christmas gifts a little bit later on because you guys know I like to do a little review for you every now and then. All right, that being said, we all know on uh, Christmas Day we had the bombing in Nashville. We had the bombing of the AT&T building in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, of course, my first thought was um, Nashville's where a certain conglomerate, well, not a conglomerate, a certain media company that is owned by a Hasidic Jew recently moved to, you know, a specific Jew that is the and I think it's okay to use the word Jew in that context, right? I mean, I'm not trying to use it as a slur because I don't do that. I have nothing but respect for the Jewish people. Uh, I, can I, I don't know, can I say the name? I'm just going to say the name. The Daily Wire, run by Ben Shapiro, recently moved to Nashville. Of course, Ben Shapiro himself is Jewish. Uh, his cohorts, co-hosts, whatever you want to call them, his podcast mates, I don't know. Andrew Claven, Matt Walsh, and Michael Knowles are not Jewish. Also, you have to bear in mind that they're being joined by the lovely and talented Candace Owens, who happens to be a black conservative woman. This all is taking place in Nashville, and then there's this bombing. So, of course, my first thought was, holy shit, 
What if this is some type of message? What if this is aimed at, say, Ben Shapiro or Candace Owens or something to that effect? Well, no. It turns out that the bomber, Anthony Quinn Warner, was a conspiracy theorist nut job who believed that the 5G networks were causing cancer. And this is something we all heard at the very beginning. When 5G started rolling out nationwide, we all heard the same thing. Well, this is getting into our bodies and it's going to cause cancer. There's absolutely no scientific evidence to support this. I mean, and I'm not talking about, you know, the, the Democrats version, the leftist version of follow the science. No, I'm talking about real science. There's no actual evidence that 5G has any effect on our body. There was no evidence that 4G had any effect on our body. But hey, you know, science, you know, science doesn't care about science. Everybody keeps trying to come up with all these different little quips, these little quotes about science nowadays and... It's getting a little ridiculous. So I'm just going to try to make it as ridiculous as I can. Basically, just shut the fuck up. Follow the science. The science is there's nothing about 5G that can harm you. But at any rate, Anthony Quinn Warner, uh, 63 years old. They now know that he died in the van bomb bombing itself, which, good. All right. You know, problem solved. Not problem solved in terms of we had a whack job idiot conspiracy theorist who tried to blow up as many people as he could, and took himself out in the process. That's not good. But what's good is the asshole bomber is gone. We're not going to waste money on a fucking trial that's probably going to end up with leftist judge pieces of shit letting him go because, oh, I don't know, mommy and daddy didn't love him enough, or, you know, perhaps somebody accidentally referred to him by the wrong pronoun at some point, which is, you know, exactly, you know, that's exactly what our goddamn judicial system is coming to. Oh, well, when you arrested Mr. Warner, you didn't call him the proper pronoun. Therefore, the arrest was, shut the fuck up. And before you roll your eyes at me, you know good and goddamn well that's where it's going. Warner was very into heavily, was very heavily into conspiracy theories. He truly believed that 5G was killing people. And he actually thought he would be hailed as a hero for this suicide bombing to destroy, I guess, an AT&T 5G tower. Uh, this is where you start to wonder just how sick our country has gotten. And you have to ask yourself, is this a part of the, uh, the, the, the remnants of the information overload? Is this a result of the information overload that we have? Every goddamn thing we have in our hands these days operates on 4G or 5G. Everything is wireless, everything. I mean, right in front of me, right now, I'm sitting here in the bunker doing my show, and I am sitting in front of a total of five computer screens, a television, and another computer screen sitting off to the side here. That is what we're surrounded by, but yet somehow we're allowing all of these to influence our lives completely. And, well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the 5G is coming through these computer screens and, and destroying my molecular structure. Well, as heavily as Warner was into these conspiracy theories, we also know that he might have had a personal motive. See, his father, Charles, had worked for Bell South. Bell South, of course, was bought in 2006 by AT&T. His dad had died in July 2011 of dementia. So, obviously... His dad could not have gotten that dementia from the 5G, or the, I don't even believe 4G was around back then. I believe it was 3G, because I got my first smartphone in 2011, and I think it was still 2G, or whatever the hell it was called back then. Needless to say, it was not 5G. 
So we know full well that his dad did not get any type of dementia or any type of uh, brain-related disease from 5K. So clearly this, if this particular idea is accurate, then clearly what we're talking about is a man who had a personal grudge against AT&T. I have a bit of a personal grudge against AT&T as well. My adopted mom worked for Bell Atlantic for like 35 fucking years. And AT&T bought them out. And she ended up retiring and getting a nice package. And you know what my issue with AT&T is? Your service sucks. I don't have an issue with the company. It, it's called progress. It's called merger. It happens. You know, if Anthony Quinn Warner can't get it through his fucking head that, hey, this is the nature of life. If he actually bombed AT&T because he was pissed off that his dad had his job, you know, I don't, they, they are not even saying that Charles Warner lost his job because of AT&T. They're simply saying he used to work for Bell South, which was acquired by AT&T. So either Anthony Charles, Anthony Quinn Warner is a nut bar or Charles Warner's uh, job had absolutely nothing to do with it, and people are just using that as another excuse. You never know. I mean, that is possible. That is kind of the way we do things nowadays. We come up with a fucking excuse for everything. How about this? Anthony Quinn Warner was a whack job. Anthony Quinn Warner was one of these absolutely crazy idiots who thought that somehow he was going to be a martyr for blowing shit up. Does this sound familiar? Because this has fucking Al-Qaeda written all over it. Obviously, I'm not saying this guy was a member of Al-Qaeda. I'm saying the motivation is the same. So don't, don't sit there and go, you called him Al-Qaeda? No, I didn't. I said the motivation was the same. Don't put fucking words in my mouth. Ay, ay, ay. And people wonder, people ask me all the time, you get angry on your show, but you say you love doing it. I do love doing it. I do love doing it. I love that you guys are here. I am talking to the idiots out there who listen to this show, and they take what I say completely out of context. Because for Christ's sake, I've said it a million times, context is king. We need to keep the context in everything. We have another little piece of news. Uh, you've all probably by now read at least a summary of the omnibus bill that was passed by the House of Representatives and the Senate and was ultimately signed into law by President Donald Trump. And we've all heard about all the pork. We've heard about the $15 million to fix a fucking boat. We have heard about the 10 to $15 million that is being given to Pakistan for gender studies. I assure you, Pakistan has no interest in it as a nation in any gender studies. I assure you of that. I'm not Pakistani. I've never been to Pakistan. I know maybe one or two Pakistanis. Let me assure you, they have no interest in gen in gender studies. Guaranteed. But we've heard about most of the pork. But I just wanted to give you a quick update because if you are a Second Amendment supporter like myself, if you're a gun owner, um, and I am not currently a gun owner, I have to stress that every time. I don't want people thinking that uh, I am one of those nut jobs. I kind of am. I love guns. I love everything about them. I'm not currently in possession of one. That doesn't mean I am not a 100% Second Amendment rights advocate, because I absolutely am. But here's what I need people to understand, because I don't think this one's being talked about enough. There's a $25 million allocation in this omnibus pork bill. For the Centers for Disease Control and National Institutes of Health to, quote, fund research on firearm safety and gun violence prevention. 
As noted by both Representatives Carolyn Maloney, Democrat from New York, and Senator Ed Markey, Democrat from Massachusetts, both of whom are big fans of gun control. Um, Wow. So somewhere buried in the middle of this 5,593-page bill that, by the way, they had two hours. I believe most of the uh, congressmen had two hours to read it, summarize it, and then vote on it, which you're going to tell me that's how we pass our bills? Jesus Christ. This 5,593-page bill is buried somewhere in the middle. Apparently, some people did actually read it because six Republican senators, including Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, voted against the bill, as did 53 GOP House reps. Now, somebody obviously got a copy of it ahead of time, or somebody was able to read it, and then, I don't know, maybe they got Spencer Reed from Criminal Minds, and he's speed read it, and then just gave them the the syllabus. I don't know how they did it. I know how they did it. As a matter of fact, most of them didn't read it at all. But what I'm trying to get at is, this proves that right now, there are two people in the uh, legislative branch of the government that really have our backs in terms of Americans. And those are Rand Paul and Ted Cruz. And those are the ones that constantly get berated and belittled by the left, by the legacy media, by the leftist commie fucktards who hold positions of power all throughout the country, all they could ever do is talk shit on Rand Paul and Ted Cruz. Meanwhile, these are the two guys who actually take the time to look at something and go, wait, how does this affect our rights? These two guys don't give a shit about how it affects perception. They care about your rights. Rand Paul and Ted Cruz are two of the greatest American politicians certainly of my lifetime, and they're the two top American politicians we have right now. For anybody who is on the fence about whether or not the entirety of the GOP party, and bear in mind this is coming from a libertarian, the entirety of the GOP party may be leaning toward the rhino side, let me make it very clear. Ted Cruz and Rand Paul are as close to true conservative Republicans as we can possibly get in this day and age, Rand Paul even leans more toward libertarian, just like his father did. So thank those two for at least trying to put the kibosh on a bill that, among all the other moronic shit, including $25 million to the Kennedy Center, also included $25 million to research gun violence. You don't need a lot of money to research gun violence. As a matter of fact, I'll research it for you. You want some you want to do something with that 25 million? I'll take that 25 million and I will give you the truth about gun violence. Gun violence is prevalent in poor neighborhoods, in undereducated neighborhoods. Gun violence is prevalent in areas where people are raised to believe that the only way to get where they want is to take it from somebody else. Gun violence is prevalent in socialist neighborhoods, in neighborhoods that are more capitalist, in neighborhoods where there are opportunities, not guaranteed outcomes, but opportunities. Gun violence is far lower than it is in the other neighborhoods. And you could sit here and say, well, those neighborhoods with the gun violence, those are poor neighborhoods. Those are typically inhabited by black and Latino. You know what? There are black and Latino pockets in every neighborhood in the United States. Now, why is it that only some of them have this problem with gun violence and others don't? 
Is it the saturation of quote-unquote minorities in those neighborhoods? Or is it the absolute lack of respect that they're being taught by a generation that grew up in the fucking Clinton era, a generation that came to maturity in the George W. Bush and Barack Obama administrations and then had children? Well, I'm going to go with B. I'm going to go with it comes from the fact that we have kids these days and even, you know, your 20 year olds who were born roughly in what um, this is 2020. So 2000 would be the George W. Bush administration. That's the after effect of the Clinton administration. Remember, I've talked about we've had three of the worst presidents in U.S. history back to back to back in Bill Clinton, George, George W. Bush and Barack Obama. And we're seeing the social ramifications of their moronic, ridiculous, bullshit, anti-American policies. All three of them were guilty. Speaking of guilty, guess who was guilty, but nobody seems to give a fuck? Lori Laughlin. Lori Laughlin has been released from prison after serving two months. Two months. If you or I did what she did, if you or I was involved in that type of collegiate scandal we would not see the outside for a minimum of three to five years. But hey, it's Lori Laughlin. She's one of America's sweethearts. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, just maybe they released her because they realized they had a full house. And we are back. I told you at the beginning of the program that um, I received a Christmas gift that I really, really enjoyed. Now, I shaved my head. I, I've been essentially bald since 2011. So we're going on 10 years. Actually, you know, uh, June of this year, July of 2021, will be 10 years since I had hair. 10 years. Wow. Well, and I've always used, you know, single blade, double blade, triple blade. I even have those five blade razors. I refuse to buy Gillette, as everybody is aware. Fuck Gillette. And I came across um, this gift that was given to me. Is called the Tax Shaver by Bell and Howell. Now, you guys know I like to do reviews once in a while, and this is going to be like a quick two-minute one for you. But Bell and Howell, who at one point was a camera manufacturer, they're now doing the tack line of products, you know, the tactical light, the tactical flashlight, the tax shaver. And I opened this thing up. I took it upstairs to get ready for Christmas Day dinner. I decided I'd use it to shave my head. And I have to tell you, Next to an actual razor, next to like a five-blade razor, this is the best damn shaver I think I've ever used. And I've had a few over the years. This one is really, really cool. And i got to explain this to you. Number one, it's basically the size of like a small billfold. It's the size of a credit card, more or less. Uh, it does run on two AA batteries. Or not two AA batteries. Well, it runs on... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking about the remote for my Google Chromecast, which we just got in the mail for free because I'm a YouTube uh, TV subscriber. Thank you for that, Google. You know, I normally can't stand you, but hey, you know, I'll take anything free, especially something that makes my life easier. Hint to anybody out there. You want products reviewed? You want products tested? TerryWilkerson.com. Contact me through the website. All my information, including my contact number and my personal email, right there. So... This thing, the tax shaver, like I said, size of a credit card, three stainless steel rotary blades, like the shavers that you saw your father and your grandfather using. Now, I haven't tested the battery life yet. I do know that when I took it out of the box, it had not been charged. It had a little bit of charge in it, and I utilized that 
charge to shave my head. Now, while it's not bowling ball smooth, it's something that I can get away with. I can use it every other day. It takes about the same amount of time as using a safety razor. And it has essentially the same result. There's a little bit of stubble left, but it's not something that's going to bother me. It's not enough to make me put it down and go back to the the safety razor. I'm happy with this product. I don't know what the battery life is. I did charge it up the full eight hours. It recommends eight hours for a full charge. I charged it all the way. And this was on Christmas Day that I charged it. And I've used it two or three times since then. I mean, that's only four days. But I keep kind of punishing it to see how it's going to work. And it just seems to work just fine. And everybody always talks about not using an electric razor on your head because your head is the most sensitive area on your body. I disagree, but, you know, that's what Manscaped is for. And I use it on my head, and I notice there's no irritation. Even using a regular razor, I've had to use, like, an aftershave type thing on my head. But this one just seems to work fine. Stainless steel blades... There's a cap that actually comes off so that you can brush out the blades and the uh, the rotary notches, I'm going to use the word, for lack of a better word. You clean them off, and oh, by the way, it can be used in a wet environment. I'm not saying take it in the shower and, you know, shave while you're there, but maybe you can. I, I haven't seen anybody actually do that in any of the reviews. I just know that you can have your head wet, and boom, you're good to go. All in all great little item. If you're like me and you do shave your head, or if you want something that's an alternative to straight razors, safety razors, if you want something that's an alternative to that Norelco beast that you've had charging in your bathroom for the past 10 years, then I do highly recommend the Tax Shaver. And again, this product endorsement is not paid for. I have not been contacted by the company. I did not contact the company. This is simply one man, me, talking about how much I happen to enjoy a little item that I got for Christmas. Thank you very much to my lovely fiance Carol. Uh, it's a fantastic gift. I highly recommend it. The Bell and Howell Tax Shaver. And we will be back in just a moment to talk a little sports. And welcome back. This will be our sports segment, if you will. Uh, I talked earlier at the very beginning of the show about the San Diego Padres. And holy shit, they picked up Blake Snell in a trade over the weekend, and this morning we wake up to find out that they've also picked up you Darvish. Now, we knew Darvish was going to be traded. He was on the market. The Cubs are in a rebuilding period. Theo Epstein walked away. There's a lot going on over there in Chicago on the south side, or the north side, sorry. Uh, I always forget which one is actually there, the, which where the Cubs actually are, if they're the north side or the south side. I forget. So feel free to correct me. You know, either call into the show or... You know, send me an email, do something, correct me if I'm wrong. I like when people actually call me out when I'm wrong. It, it makes sure that I'm not wrong anymore. So over the weekend, they get Blake Snell, the San Diego Padres. The Rays, in turn, get Luis Patino, Cole Wilcox, Blake Hunt, and Francisco Mejia. can't believe I, I need new glasses, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so the Padres ended up at that point... Not not counting today, they ended up with a starting rotation of Blake Snell, Denilson Lamette, Chris Paddock, and Zach Davies. The, originally, I guess they were going for a revolving door for the number five starter, and then, of course, they add you Darvish. So now it's you Darvish, Blake Snell, Snell <laughs> Lamette, Paddock, and Davies. That's a hell of a rotation, guys. 
That is a hell of a rotation. That is a solid rotation. I, I'm trying to, just off the top of my head, place it in the National League, and I have to say if it's not number one, it's one, two, or three. I mean, that's one of the best rotations in the league. Are they now the favorites to win the National League West? I, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm a Yankees fan, as you know. If I had a second team, it would be the Dodgers. I look at the Dodgers, and they have that starting rotation with Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, David Price, uh, Julio Orias, and Dustin May, and I believe Gonsolin is like the you know sixth starter and uh, emergency fifth starter or what have you. I think the rotations are very close. You know, the Padres might actually have a little bit of an edge, but across the entire team, I think the Dodgers still have the edge in the NL West. I mean, for one thing, the Dodgers still have Mookie Betts, still have Corey Seager, still have Max Muncy, still have Cody Bellinger, still have A.J. Pollock, still have Will Smith, one of the most underrated catchers in the game today. So looking at those two lineups, I mean, yeah. Yeah, the, the Padres, they have Fernando Tatis Jr., they have Manny Machado, I just, for some reason, I Eric Hosmer, Jake Cronenworth, I still just think overall the Dodgers have the advantage in the NL West. Obviously, this is now potentially anybody's game. Padres killing it in the offseason. Somewhere in baseball, heaven, Tony Gwynn is smiling down, you know, huge grin on his face because, man, his hometown team is making a run for it. Uh, man. I actually, um, I missed, apparently, the last episode of Intentional Talk with Chris Rose. I don't know if anybody else caught it, but I apparently missed it. I DVR every single episode, but somehow, eh, I missed it. Another thing going on in baseball, we actually, sad news, we lost Phil Necro. Now, this was, of course, two days ago. We are a day behind on this particular podcast. Uh, Phil Necro, one of the most famous knuckleballers in history, born in... 1939, April 1st, in Blaine, Ohio. He had, uh, of course, famous brother Joe, both brothers, uh, fantastic pitchers. He was a 22-year veteran of the major leagues, pitched from 67 to 88, was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1997, played for the Braves, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Indians. Now, by the way, if you go on to the MLB website, they don't say he played for the Indians. They say he played for the Tribe. Which you know, MLB is already preparing for the um, the woke bullshit with the Cleveland Indians. It's still going to be the Indians to me for the rest of my life. Rob Manfred was quoted as saying, "Phil Necro had one of the most distinct was one of the most distinctive and memorable pitchers of his generation. In the last century, no pitcher threw no more than Phil's 5,404 innings. His knuckleball led him to five All Star selections." Three two hundred win, three twenty win seasons for the Braves, the three hundred win mark, and ultimately to Cooperstown. But there's even more to his to him than his signature pitch and trademark durability. Phil will be remembered as one of our game's most genial people. He will always be repre- He always represented his sport extraordinarily well, and he will be deeply missed. I am trying to read a computer screen through a windscreen on a microphone. This setup is getting tough, <laughs> but it's fun. Uh, R.A. Dickey, a 2012 Cy Young Award winner, was quoted as saying, So sad today. Phil Necro helped me in a profound way to change the course of my career and life. I was perpetually moved by his kindness, wisdom, and sense of humor. What a man he will be missed. Absolutely he will. Rest in peace, Phil Necro. 
And by the way, Phil now makes the eighth Hall of Famer to pass away in 2020. Lou Brock, Whitey Ford, Bob Gibson, Al Kaline, Joe Morgan, Tom Seaver, and now the great Phil Necro. Rest in peace. And we're going to finish off with a little bit of pro wrestling news, news, notes, whatever you want to call it. Uh, not a whole lot going on with NASCAR right now. I mean, we're in the offseason. Everybody is kind of slotted into their teams. Other than Kyle Larson looking for sponsors, there's not a whole hell of a lot going on. But we are just about, what, 47, 48 days away from the Daytona 500. Thank you, God. So we're going to switch over to a little bit of pro wrestling news. Now, if you watched Monday Night Raw last night, well, you wasted three hours of your life. Not really all three hours. I mean, there were there were two segments that were actually pretty good. Obviously, the Randy Orton, Alexa Bliss segment where she volunteered to get set on fire. Obviously, that's an intriguing segment. We don't know where they're going with the whole Fiend character. I have to presume that the cult leader, Bray Wyatt, the Eater of Worlds, is going to be coming back. You you kind of have to assume that. I mean, they're not just going to simply write Bray Wyatt off for good. And they're not going to write him off for very long. He's one of the hottest things the company has. Are you going to write off Alexa Bliss for a while? She's one of the hottest things the company has. But the whole Randy Orton, you know, he went from the legend killer to setting people on fire. I mean, you talk about a guy who's trying to create his legacy near the end of his career. Wow. And he plays the character perfectly. Orton is such a phenomenal performer. Everybody says he's a dick in real life. Who knows? Who cares? I mean, if, if Randy Orton is a dick, he has a right to be. He's a fantastic performer. And when I say he has a right to be, I mean, he. if the guy wants privacy, if he just wants to be left alone and do his job and go home to his kids and his wife, there's no reason for anybody to get up in arms about that. But he's a fantastic performer. And the, the Bray Wyatt stuff, I mean, he destroyed... The Funhouse again. You know, he destroyed um, Rambling Rabbit and Mercy the Buzzard. And, it, you know, he kind of, you know, you want heat? You want heat? You destroy the Firefly Funhouse. And that's what Randy Orton did. And Randy Orton got the heat, ladies and gentlemen. That was the one segment that was pretty good. And the other segment, now, admittedly, I'm a Miz Mark. Not even going to mislead people. I am a Miz Mark. And the cash-in for the WWE Championship at TLC that did not go his way. And he's sitting there trying to figure out how he's going to get the briefcase back. You know, he's worried about it. John Morrison and The Miz are sitting on the steps of, I believe, you know, the 300 level of the trop. And here comes Adam Pearce, scrap iron himself, the former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, with the briefcase, informing Miz that you're right. Only the holder of the briefcase can cash it in. Since Morrison did the cash in for you, it's not official. So they have been jerking around the money in the bank briefcase for a while. I'm kind of glad, not kind of glad, I'm very glad that they found another way to kind of keep it alive and maybe keep a little bit of credibility because if you don't give that money in the bank contract credibility now, I mean, obviously, when they put it on Otis and then decided, well, we're not really going to push Otis, very reminiscent of Dolph Ziggler. Obviously, they took a little bit of the credibility down. But now, hopefully, there's something, there's just something there that WWE is going to do. Put the belt back on The Miz for you know, even just a short run, because The Miz was an entertaining-as-hell champion. 
a lot of people talk shit on him. I know Jim Cornette can't stand him. I think Miz is a great modern WWE performer. And I say put the belt back on him just for a little bit of time, and then maybe, I don't know, I can't sit here and tell WWE about long-term booking because they haven't done long-term booking in forever. And I've actually begun going back to, it's kind of a sidebar here, I've gone back to playing this online text-based game called Journey of Wrestling. If you're familiar with it, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, it's a great online fed. You know, you book the show. There's no action. There's no controller. There's no gaming like you would on your PS3 or 4. Yeah, that's how old I am. It's just basically text-based, and you book shows, and you get reactions from the fans, and it tells you whether you're doing a good job or not, and you can end up going out of business, you can end up getting fired, or you can end up becoming the biggest fed in the world. I've been playing that lately and trying to work on my long-term booking. So again, I'm not going to sit here and tell WWE anything about long-term booking, because one, they already don't know, and two, what the hell do I know? I'm just a mark, as as Taz would say. Anyway... The other thing, real quick, I want to run across is uh, Ring of Honor TV. Another amazing show. Another fantastic show. The, it had two matches for this week's episode. The, the main event was Team Jay Briscoe against Team Mark Briscoe. And they did this gimmick where the Briscoes would open presents and the names of their teammates would be inside the presents. So Jay Briscoe ended up with Flip Gordon, Brian Malonis, now known as Brawler Malonis, John Walters, who came out to the original Ring of Honor, um, Titantron, and PCO. Mark Briscoe ended up with the Beer City Bruiser, Dak Draper, Tracy Williams, and Dalton Castle. Dalton Castle, of course, shows up in his finest turtleneck because, hey, it's Christmas, so you got to look good, right? And there were several little, you know, things about this match. For example, having Briscoe versus Briscoe. Having Beer City Bruiser against Brian Malonis. These little moments are what makes Ring of Honor such an amazing promotion, is they pay attention to the little details. They don't have the biggest budget, but they certainly have the biggest mind when it comes to their booking. They can book long-term, they can book short-term, and they always throw little things in. Ultimately, by the way, Jay Briscoe's team defeats Mark Briscoe's team. They get 14 minutes and 12 seconds. PCO with the... PCO assault on Dak Draper for the pinfall victory. The match they opened with. Now, four guys come out in black trunks, black knee pads, black boots, and they're talking about being from the dojo. If this doesn't immediately make you think of the Young Lions and New Japan, you're not paying attention. And of course, Ian Riccoboni mentions the Young Lions and New Japan. So thank you for not trying to, you know, Bogart the Black Tights. We're not trying to say that this is our creation. Acknowledging that New Japan came up with this. This particular match uh, between these four, Dante Caballero, Joe Keyes, against Eric Martin and Ken Dixon. Ken Dixon, I think I've seen him on an indie show here and there. He's just a little brute. I mean, he, he kind of reminds you of Buzz Sawyer. If you go all the way back to the 80s and early 90s, the way I do, Buzz Sawyer was this maniac sort of um, crazy little ball of anger. And Ken Dixon reminds me a lot of Buzz Sawyer. He even used the quote-unquote Buzz Sawyer power slam, which I think of as a Ted DiBiase power slam, but hey, you know, it, it doesn't matter. you got two legends right there that you're talking about anyway. So they go out there, 
black trunks, black knee pads, black boots, very reminiscent of the Young Lions situation, and Caprice Coleman and Ian Riccoboni, and Brian Johnson was on color with them for some reason, they really pushed the idea that all four of these guys are veterans who have taken a step back, they're trying to start their careers all over again, they've gone to the dojo, a very, um, a, a very sort of not subtle throwback to New Japan and to the Young Lions program. And I had to bring, I had to smile when Joe Keyes puts Dixon in the elevated Boston Crab. I knew that was the finish. I have learned enough about the Young Lion program to know that they're usually only allowed to finish submissions with the Boston Crab. So the second Keys goes for the Boston Crab, I knew the finish was coming. But i got to tell you this much. The match itself, 10 minutes, 20 seconds, they did this weird thing during this match. It's called wrestling. They actually chain wrestled. Catches, catch, can. It was the type of wrestling I grew up watching in the AWA and the NWA. And if I didn't already have, you know, like a, a Mark crush on Ring of Honor, I would certainly have one now. Because keep giving me matches like that, and I'm going to tune in every single damn time. Well, of course, with Ring of Honor, I try to anyway. But keep giving me matches like that, and I don't mind that you're continuing to push PCO at the age of, I think, 98 years old. So Ring of Honor put on a great show for Ring of Honor television. I recommend you go check it out on the Fight app. And that is going to cover our wrestling portion of the show. As a matter of fact, that is going to cover our show. We're running a little short this week, but hey, we're here every single time for you. Still working on getting a permanent schedule for the show. I know I keep saying this. Ladies and gentlemen, it is difficult to have, when you don't have the time exactly to sit down and write a show and prepare it and produce it and and mix it down and put it out, it's difficult to have it on a schedule. So I do try to just put one out a week. You know, I've gone, obviously, a couple of weeks at times without it, but here we are. We've managed the last couple of weeks to get one out a week. Eventually, I'm going to get this under a schedule. I'm just going to keep saying eventually to remind you guys that I'm not forgetting about you. I love every one of you that tunes in, and thank you for tuning in. That being said, this has been the Terry Wilkerson Show for December 29th, 2020. The Terry Wilkerson Show is a production of 1975 Podcast Productions, a division of 1028 Media. Go to www.terrywilkerson.com for more information. Don't forget to check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you download your fine podcast content. Please like, subscribe, and share. And if you happen to be able to, give us a five-star rating. And until we see you next time, everybody, have a great time.